You might not have put two and two together or realize that this podcast, it's actually produced by a nonprofit, listener-supported Wyoming Public Media. We're just a little old station housed in a basement on the beautiful University of Wyoming campus. We aren't getting paid big bucks as a for-profit business. No siree, we're making this podcast not for money, but because everyone on our team believes in what we do, telling the missing stories of the real American West. But that means we rely on people like you. If you make sure to download every episode as soon as it comes out, or have been telling all your friends what a big Modern West fan you are, or would be seriously bummed if we disappeared from your feed, If all that describes you, I wonder if you'd take a quick minute to do something for me. Get into your browser and search for themodernwest.org and find the donate button. It doesn't matter how much you commit to, $5 or $100. It just matters that you show us that you want us to keep telling these stories. My recommendation? Pause this episode and do it real quick before you forget at themodernwest.org. A few months back, just before the pandemic, I tagged along with my dad to band practice. We showed up at his friend Gary Watson's house. Gary, you'll remember, was my dad's first friend in North Park and the guy who invited him to join the Rhythm Wrestlers. When I was a kid, my dad played lead guitar, but nowadays, he's on keyboards. Some of my earliest memories are running around underfoot with Gary's son, Wes, who was a year older than me, screaming to be heard over all the throbbing amps pumping out country music. Or at least I hung out with Wes until he joined the band as the drummer. Played my first gig on my 12th birthday. Now, Wes is the lead guitarist, and his dad, Gary, sings. Their original singer, Leon, died a few years back of lung cancer. These days, the rhythm wrestlers only play publicly a couple times a year, but back in the day, Wes says the Elkhorn Bar filled to the rafters to see these guys. I remember your dad got up and we played to a packed crowd, and he did that. Living in the USA, Chuck Berry, place went nuts. Wes knew that's what he wanted to do, make music that affected people. So after high school, he moved to Fort Collins and joined a popular band called the Marvelous Marmots. And we had fun. We had a blast. But you, unless you really fall into it and get a card, for the union, you can't make it. Last time I played for the Marmots, I made $20 less than the first time I ever played with the Rhythm Wrestlers, and that was 39 years ago. You know, you you just don't get paid. So Wes started driving a truck to make ends meet. I I traveled with a company that did uh, construction work on oil rigs for five years, and I was in Nebraska, Kansas, Wyoming, Oklahoma, you know, yeah. and it just, I get nauseous when the mountains disappear <laughs> in my rearview mirror. 
Yeah, home. It's, it's home. Yeah. yeah, it's home. Yeah. So Wes moved back to North Park to live with his dad. Since then, Wes's health has been steadily going downhill. Well, I have diabetes. I have a chronic heart problem that only flares up every four or five years. And I have pretty much my knee to my ankle replaced with titanium. And I'm just starting to be able to walk. In other words, he's a wreck. Yeah, <laughs> I am. If yeah. I had known I was going to make it this old, I would have taken care of myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, and but, I mean, how come you don't move, you know, to the city so that you can be closer to doctors and stuff? That's why I'm moving. Yeah. I'm moving to Cheyenne. And I want to move where I can get some good physical rehab so I'll be able to walk without a cane. The great exodus from rural America sits on the shoulders of people like Wes. And yeah, people like me. Kids who grew up in these towns love them so hard it hurts to see them disappear in the rearview mirror. But somehow, find ourselves leaving anyway. And when we go, we take the music with us. From Wyoming Public Media and PRX, this is the Modern West, exploring the evolving identity of the American West. I'm Melody Edwards. The last couple of episodes, we've been talking a lot about migration, about how the West has traditionally chased American dreamers away, and about all the fresh energy that immigrants can bring in if we can only make them welcome. But rural towns aren't making their own children welcome either. It's another one of America's great migrations. Even the history books are starting to call it that. And it's personal, because I was one of those young people who left my hometown. Almost all my classmates left. Lots never to return. One thing that sent us scurrying was a need to feel connected to the great big world out there. And as that world became more connected through the World Wide Web, our town felt even more isolated. The internet was slow to arrive here. Some people say it still hasn't, really. All this got me thinking about my own classmates. Seventeen of us graduated, but only five of us still live there. What kind of decisions did we all make in life that could help Walden do a better job of retaining their young people? So I tracked some of them down. Starting with Brandy Hansen, one of my closest friends in elementary school. You'd think Brandy, of all of our classmates, would have come home. Her family roots here go way back, starting with her great-grandpa, Victor. Well, he came over when he was 12 from Sweden. And he actually came over, I believe, by himself and eventually made it to settle in North Park and started a cattle ranch there. For generations, the Hansons were one of the largest families in the valley. They still have a town park named after them. Brandy says her childhood on the ranch was carefree. Our parents weren't checking on us. They weren't worrying about what... I mean, our biggest threat was whether we were going to step on a rusty nail because we're running around barefoot and have to go get a tetanus shot in Laramie. You know what I mean? I mean, we were just running carefree and just we made up games. I mean, we just, we were outside playing with snow and playing with tractors and playing with horse trailers and, you know, playing in the barn. I remember that, running around on that ranch with Brandy. 
But then, in the 1980s, farmers and ranchers were hit by a series of hard times. Bad droughts, high-interest loans, low property values. I don't know if it was like financial stress leading to divorce or divorce leading to financial stress or where all of that came in, but there started to be, you know, a few divorces, my parents included. Generations of Hansons had ranched in North Park, but by the mid-80s... You know, between the insurance and the banks, they ended up, you know, confiscating the land. There wasn't a way for us to... We even... We even uh, toyed around with lots of ideas to try to save the property, like turning it into a dude ranch, or, you know, what could we do? Could we board horses? Brandy moved with her mom to nearby Fort Collins. After graduating from college with a degree in math, Brandy ended up following her mom down south and eventually got married. And then as soon as we got married, he got laid off. And when he got laid off, he looked for jobs wherever, and the wherever ended up being Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Which is where Brandy still lives. Now she's a PE teacher and a single mom. She wishes her daughter could grow up like she did. She says over the years, lots of Hanson kids have tried to return to North Park. Some of her cousins returned for summer jobs. Brandy wanted to live closer to her family, too. And I had really wanted to, to be back there with them. But when I tried to go back, it was really difficult to find a job, housing. So it's almost like once you leave, even if you want to go back, it's really difficult to do that. And honestly, I've tried to go back several times since. And something has always kind of become a roadblock to it. It was definitely a lifestyle choice. <laughs> yeah. That's Matt Schuler, another guy from our class. Now he's the editor of the town paper, the Jackson it. County Star. I catch him on a Wednesday packaging up the newspapers to deliver around town. Which is funny because a lot of the people that are our age that lived here, a lot of them are looking back like, man, I wish I'd go back. Right. Well, I just talked to Brandy. And that's what she said. She's like, I've tried and tried to come back to Colorado. Uh, she can't find her way back. There's trying and then there's doing. You yeah. know, Yoda even said, there's no try, only do. <laughs> and Matt would know something about taking Yoda's advice. Matt was the class president on all the sports teams, married his high school sweetheart, then went off to college to major in chemistry. We moved to Fort Collins for a while, and I managed a lumberyard in Greeley for until they shut it down. And then one night we were going to Walmart and asked Michelle how her day was and she said, pretty good, I quit my job and we're moving to Walmart. <laughs> okay. I said, have you thought it out? And she goes, nope, I'm just telling you. So they moved back. And Matt says they made it work the way lots of small town folks do. A little of this, a little of that. I found out exactly how true this was when his phone rang. Still wrapping papers with rubber bands, he answered. Hello. Hello, shoot. Yeah, this is Lee Jolly. Are you still cutting hair off and on? Yeah, off and on, mostly off, but I can get yours done maybe this afternoon if you got time. Okay, I got time. How about four o'clock? Four o'clock? All right, I will be there. All right, we'll see you there. Thanks, Lee. Uh, uh -huh. I'll see you later. Did he say cut hair? 
Yeah, I'm the only barber in the town, <laughs> too. You didn't know that? No. I did not know you were the barber in town. And and you have no hair. Because I, I work on my own. Anybody wants a reference, I just take my hat off. But cutting hair didn't make as much money as he'd hoped. He made breakfast burritos on the side, all the time sitting on the school board. Then he heard that Jim Dustin, the current mayor, wanted to sell the newspaper. You know, I, I got a hold of him and said, well, have you got any takers? I just kind of, you know, being friendly and asking him. But all this, the time thinking about it. And yeah. I finally said, well, I'll buy it, but I ain't going to pay you what you want for it because I don't want your buildings. I don't, I don't need them. It surprised people when he bought it because he always struggled with writing papers in school. Our fifth grade teacher, Sarah Carlstrom, gives him a hard time about it. She just kind of giggles with me and says, well, you try hard. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I I don't write well and I dang sure don't talk good. But uh it drives them crazy because I write like I talk. And some people enjoy it, but some people it drives them batty. But if Matt hadn't bought the town paper, he might have folded. And it's one thing I would add to the what makes a town list. Yeah, you need a school and a post office but you also need a newspaper. It gives everybody the same thing to bitch about. (laughs) (laughs) He says one of the most popular parts of the paper is the old-time news, where he republishes stories from issues past. It's local news. It has local impacts. And I think that's the part that the people, it's about them. And people love to see their face or their family. And the people that get it outside the community... Mm Uh, I got a guy, he's our rodeo contractor. He, uh, his favorite part's the old-time news. He goes, because I know those people. And, and it connects them to something, you know, it's like a smell during uh, Thanksgiving or Christmas. You smell a certain food, and it reminds you, takes you back to one of your most favorite memories in your life. Well, that's what local papers have the ability to do to some folks. He also doesn't charge for obituaries because a death is big news in a fast-shrinking town like Walden. Hop in the front seat. Okay. I help Matt load the papers into the trunk of his car and we head out to deliver them. At the grocery store, he counts out a stack of papers. Are you working hard? Every chance I get. So you just leave them here? Yeah, I count the ones that they didn't sell. How much does it cost? Dollar? Only cost a dollar? Remember when it's 25 cents. You're old. I know. While we're out and about, we drive past the place where the town recently demolished my childhood home. And this is where our house was, right here. Right there. It's gone. Totally gone. Well, you can buy a lot and build it back. Well, maybe. My mom went and picked the rhubarb. (laughs) No, I want you to keep doing the newspaper is what I want to happen. That makes me nervous when Matt talks about selling the newspaper. It makes everybody nervous. His writing might drive people batty, but because Matt moved home, Walden at least has a paper. More than a lot of towns can say. 
Matt says Walden needs to think about how to grow so people like him can make it work. The growth is either going to happen to us or with us. Mm-hmm. And I just hope we're active participants as residents instead of watching it from the sidelines. And the most likely folks to want to protect that identity are kids who grew up here. Matt doesn't want North Park to become the next glitzy tourist destination. Tourism jobs are low-paying and seasonal. But he says if North Parkers are going to have a say about that, they need speedy internet so people can move here, businesses can grow here, and kids like me who can bring our jobs anywhere might come home. Yeah, we barely got internet now, so... Yeah, how is the internet these days? It sucks. Really? Pretty slow. It's, well, it's better than nothing, but mm-hmm. it's, it's real close to it. He says you can't participate in Zoom meetings very well, and streaming is iffy. Matt says the internet needs to be treated like any other utility. Hell, right now, internet's way more important than the highway. Yeah. It sucks because they're trying to have everything done remotely. Well, you've got to have remote availability. So the haves and have-nots has come back into the play. They've got a buzzword for it, and I can't remember it because I'm not very politically correct. Uh, broadband equity, which is, I think is a joke because there's nobody in rural Colorado that has any equity. Jackson County Commissioner Danny Manville and I sit at a table at his bowling alley, the 10th frame, on Walden's Main Street. The, the, the thing that's bad, or that is unfortunate about it, is that we have the fiber. We have more than enough fiber coming in here. Can't use it. Why not? Because Central Link won't let anybody have it. That's what it comes down to. I'm hoping Danny can help me understand the role that sucky internet plays in keeping young people from moving here. Danny is another guy who grew up on a ranch here, moved away, but migrated home in his later years and is now stepping into leadership. He says for years, there's been no competition to prod CenturyLink to get all their fiber turned on. Fiber optics are hair-thin strands of glass or plastic that conduct information in the form of light speedily wherever people need it. It's an underground spiderweb connecting data centers to homes and businesses everywhere. When the pandemic hit, most people thought, wow, good thing we have the internet to keep us connected. The rural poor, though? Um, they weren't thinking that. A full quarter of rural America can't get the internet at all. And on Indian reservations, it's even worse. A third of people living on them can't get it. When the pandemic hit rural places, life got harder. Kids sitting in the school parking lot to do their homework. Elders who can't see the doctor because the only option is telehealth. Employees who can't participate in Zoom meetings. And it's places like North Park that really illustrate the technical issues. Up here, there's only one main line of fiber coming in. So the further out you live on what's called the last mile, the more sluggish your internet. The problem is when you look at Jackson County, we're up north and we would just have one line going, shooting straight up to us and then it goes nowhere else. But that's kind of how we get, I hate to say it, get treated up here. We're, we're off the beaten path, we're isolated. A few years ago, if anything happened to that one line, the internet all over the county was down for days. 
There wasn't a lick of redundancy, something you've got to have for reliable internet. So in 2016, Danny found a way around CenturyLink. He reached out to a Nebraska guy he knew with Vistabeam, a telecommunications company that specializes in bringing broadband to rural places. The company did a search for a tower across the border in Wyoming in hopes of finding a line of sight to the water tower in Walden. He says, I know a guy in Saratoga that owns a tower that's by Rob Roy Reservoir, and we've we know we have line of sight to it because we've worked with them. And he said, we'll check that. So he did check it and it had line of sight to our tower. So that was huge because now we found a wireless path into Jackson County. And he said that they would be interested in working with, with us and bringing service to Jackson County. So then we began working with them. Vistabeam used wireless radio transmissions instead of fiber. It meant they could bring internet to a much wider swath of the county, even some remote ranches. And as soon as they had the water tower hooked up, wouldn't you know it, CenturyLink started upgrading their services. But CenturyLink still refuses to let Vistabeam use their fiber, even though it was installed with taxpayer dollars. When they flat out will tell you, well, you're not a big enough market for us. Well, why not just sell that, that, that infrastructure and pull out of here then? <laughs> I mean, either do, do a good job of what you're doing or don't do it at all, you know. But by now, Vistabeam was forging ahead. They started applying for and nabbing big state grants to expand that service. Danny says because Vistabeam keeps upgrading to better technology, internet speeds are trending up. It has improved a ton over what it was in 2016. Like we, we probably can get here at the bowling alley now. Back when we had CenturyLink, the max that anybody ever got, and I don't know that we did, was probably 10 meg speeds. And we're probably getting, we could possibly get, but it depends on how much traffic, you know, 50 meg now. So, I mean, it's a, that's a huge increase. It's way more reliable. 50 megabytes. Heck, that's the speed I have in Laramie, the small college town where I live. But by comparison, the best parts of Denver get speeds 20 times faster. They're so fast, they get a whole new word for it, a gigabyte, or 1,000 megs. So, yeah, the Internet in North Park still has a long way to go to catch up with that. There's talk about the electric company starting their own telecommunications project, like some other small towns. That seemed feasible last year when the oil fields were cranking up here, but now it seems dubious. But Danny says he's not giving up. He'd love to see his own children move to North Park, especially since they work for Microsoft and are already working from home. But he's not sure they could do it quite yet. Young people are really attached to their, to their internet devices. You know, if they can't have that here, they're not going to move here. But those young people, they aren't just surfing the net. They live and work on it. So to keep and attract them, North Park has to be laser-focused on fixing its internet. When we return, we'll hear one guy's vision for how technology could bring small-town kids home. If you are liking what you're hearing, and actually, hey, even if you don't, we would love to hear about it. Take a moment right now to leave a rating or review on your podcast app. It'll help new listeners discover the modern West so that we can keep bringing you stories about the evolving identity of the American West. Hey, thanks, y'all. After talking to a county commissioner, it was clearer than ever that Walden's brain drain was all knotted up in its bad internet. 
but I still didn't feel like I understood some of the wider sociological reasons for why towns are bleeding youth or how they could staunch that. But then a book called Building a Resilient 21st Century Economy for Rural America came across my desk, and a lot of bells started going off in my head. My vision of uh, taking advantage of modern information and communication technology will allow uh, rural areas to become vibrant and, and become economically and demographically not only stable, but vibrant and resilient and growing. Don Albrick is the director of the Western Rural Development Center at Utah State University and the author of that book I just mentioned. What he says about growing frustration in small towns really reminds me of Walden's story. The average male is making less money now than they made in 1973 in, in constant dollars. You know, just gradually over time throughout the country, you, you can see it in rural areas everywhere, uh, whether it be in, in the South, whether it be in Appalachian, West Virginia, or here in the West. Uh, there's just growing anger because they're working hard. They don't see any way out. And Don says both political parties are to blame. Both parties have been seeking to get reelected, and, and where the majority of Americans live is urban areas, and so they've been shooting their policies towards them. And frankly, I don't think they've done much of anything that's going to benefit rural America. I think both parties would really benefit if they sat down at the table with some rural people and, and just had a better understanding of what their issues were. Don understands all this because he watched his own small town in southern Utah go through it. This was a farm town, and as agriculture mechanized, we needed fewer people, and so the population is just getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Just like how kids in North Park used to be able to trust that they'd get jobs as loggers, miners, or oil field workers, Don says technology has taken away such jobs, giving them to machines. Going to a coal mine, these days, and it, it's not guys with a pick and shovel and a, and a little light on their on their hat. It's uh, uh, somebody with a with a computer. Looks like he's playing video games, operating these vast machines that are scratching, you know, digging the coal up and putting it on conveyor belts. And these trends are going to continue. The the number of jobs in in these. What, what I call the goods-producing industries, it's going to continue to decline because technology is going to continue to improve. Which sounds like doomsday for small towns. But Don says even as technology took away jobs, it can also bring them back. With modern information and communication technology, it is now possible for somebody to live in, in a rural community and market their products or market their skills globally. The COVID pandemic has just made this even, even more apparent. There are millions and millions of Americans who are working from home. Okay, if you're, if you're working from home, why can't this home be in rural Wyoming? Why does it have to be in Silicon Valley, California, where the job is? Or why does it have to be in New York, where the boss is, where the company is? Why can't you live in one of these beautiful, 
Western communities and do your work over the computer like you've, you've always done. I can hear the commercial now. Live in Walden. Fly fish on the headwaters of the North Platte in the morning. Get your work done in the afternoon. He says this change in the economy would benefit cities, too, because they wouldn't be so crowded and polluted if the population spreads out more. And Don told me this other thing that's so important. He says small towns are valuable as vessels for American history. Some of these are great places to live. They're, they're home. I grew up in a, in a small rural community in southern Utah. That, that, that is my home. Uh, that is where my roots are. That is where my, my parents and my grandparents and my great-grandparents are buried in the local cemetery there. I don't want this place to die. I, I, I love my hometown. And it's this feeling of home that could most easily lure young people to return. But Don says none of his vision is possible unless small towns have reasonably good internet. One of my classmates, though, she's kind of a poster child for how to successfully live a 21st century lifestyle in a rural place. A few episodes back, my parents and I went to a reunion at a beautiful cabin with a bunch of my dad's oilfield buddies. On a hot day in September, I drive back out there, but under very different circumstances. The mountainside across the highway smokes from a wildfire that's actively burning across thousands of acres. Our family friend John Simons is now married to one of my classmates, Amy. They just returned home today after being evacuated for days. Showing me around her art studio, she says she hasn't even had time to unpack all her equipment. But yeah, um, when we got evacuated, John was like, don't you want to pack up your tools? Yeah. And it just like, it put me into a meltdown situation where I was like, I don't even know what I would take, but I'm so glad he said that because I wasn't going to. But this is my workbench and I spend a lot of time here. Yeah. Normally I have like my big light and my Dremel tool and some saws and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I just work with a lot of stuff. I work with leather. I work with fur. I work with metals. I work with porcupine quills. Amy grew up on that mountainside that's now on fire. Her dad was the caretaker of an old mine. For most of her childhood, Amy's family lived a backwoods lifestyle. She had to snowmobile out to catch the bus. When she was 13, they moved to Walden, and her dad became the county judge. Then, when she graduated from high school... Were you like, oh, I'm going to settle down in in North Park? Oh, God, no. (laughs) I wanted the hell out of here so bad. I think I left the day after I graduated. Literally, like, got up in the morning, threw a bag in my car, and left. But you can take a girl out of North Park, but you can't take North Park out of the girl. She found a job as a server at the famous music venue, Mishawaka. It's a curvy, half-hour drive from Fort Collins, way up Poudre Canyon. And she lived in a cabin with wood heat. But she started to feel bad about not having an education. So I decided to get a real job and learn about computers. So, which was stupid. I was making probably three, four hundred, even six hundred dollars a night 
bartending, but I was like, hmm, I need to grow up. <laughs> I got a job that I had to be on the computer all day, and I learned from an amazing woman about Excel, and, and so I did that until I got knocked up. <laughs> <laughs> John wandered into the bar that she worked in, and I remember them falling hard for each other. Now that they were going to be parents, she wanted to raise their son like she'd been raised. When she moved back, Amy opened up a vintage Western clothing store in a tiny space. Then she moved into an even bigger space. It was so successful, she even opened up a shop in Steamboat Springs and called it Calamity Pass Trading Company. I was really, I guess, caught in that dichotomy of being raised in Walden and, oh my gosh, would I do better if I was somewhere where people were better or more interested in this stuff. And um, so I really wanted to try to do it in Steamboat and see if I was successful. And, um, but I didn't want to move to Steamboat. No way. So Amy commuted 60 miles over Rabbit Ears Pass every day for years. The rent was 10 times what it was in Walden, but she had no trouble covering it. She even started making her own mountain man-inspired jewelry and art. Finally, she couldn't hack that drive and closed up. In the meantime, Amy discovered Instagram. But yeah, Instagram changed my life 100% because before that you were required to be an artist you were required to go to a, a gallery or like a art mart where oh. everybody sets up their booth and I just have never been good at, at that kind of stuff you know so um, when I started being able to photograph things and put them online which I also love photography and I had never had experience or time to explore that so I really got into both like my Instagram and social media was just as artistic for me as my actual art like I loved both sides of that and Amy's art is pure North Park in her studio she shows me some mostly I burn antler knife handles and make a little fur sheath for him to go in and these are um Sucrets, oh, yeah. boxes, Altoids, yeah. and I burn them in the campfire outside and get them to where they are got a nice patina on them. And I bang out the Altoid uh -huh. label and I metal stamp them with little designs and make like a little um, rugged jewelry box out of oh, those. So cool. I like doing those. Oh, here's one of my This little um, wall hangings made out of oh, that's so cool. shells and oh, wow. twigs. And then I do little hand-burned designs in them, and it's like a little wind chime. Uh -huh. I should show you this. When uh, Ben Clayton passed away, yeah. and Franny was trying to clean out all their stuff so she could move on, she gave me all of um, Ben's bullet shells. Really? So, like, in here. <laughs> and this is, like, a third of what I have now. I'm opening a trunk that's, like, two feet tall by three and a half foot Oh my gosh. Why? Whoa. Like... <laughs> that okay. You, you have like, you know, you're time. a North Parker if you got a <laughs> trunk full of bullet shells. <laughs> she once had a show at Urban Outfitters in Malibu with her painted cow skulls. And she works with a local trapper to get wild skulls and furs. 
and all of it sells gangbusters on Instagram and Pinterest. But that's not the only way Amy has moved her career online. Since they bought this house, they also rent three cabins decorated with her art and vintage stuff on Airbnb and other websites. Yeah, those have been going really good for the last five years. I have been booked all the time. So the COVID thing definitely affected us. We had to shut down for a while, and that was terrifying and scary with finances. And then um, when we opened back up, we got even busier because all of the people want to come up here. But Amy says the internet out at her place is truly terrible. You have to make trips into town to do anything that takes a lot of broadband. So you have to have your project all put together, go to town, find somewhere to sit. When I do my website, I have to do that a lot of times. I'll have all the pictures, I'll have everything ready to go, and I'll drive to town and go sit at my friend's house and do my work because if I do it out here, it takes hours. Her drive to town for better internet, it's 20 freaking miles. But Amy puts up with that because for her, this is home. Finding stones for jewelry on her walks in the hills working as a bartender by night. If small towns want to grow, the best place to recruit is from their own ranks. Amy and I, we have the same idea of our best selves. All the ladies I know have two, three jobs. Like, they all know how to, like, frickin' rope a cow and type on the calculator at the bank. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, they all have these skills. One of my favorite stories is um, Barb Roberts lived way out way out in the boonies and she would she was like 60 she would ride her snowmobile like six miles out to the highway in her snowmobile suit at night then she'd get to the her car she'd spread her snowmobile suit out on the ground put on her pantyhose and (laughs) (laughs) a fucking dress and go to women's club (laughs) that is a north park lady exactly yeah that's a north park lady and so that is definitely the kind of person I want to be. A North Park lady. I still aspire to be one of those myself. My own plan is to complete my migration home after my kids graduate and begin their own. I dream of spending all day, every day, in my home mountains. But I have to admit, The sooner they get those internet speeds up to muster, the sooner I can make it happen. Well, we're getting close to the end of the season here. But maybe you remember... I asked a question way back at the beginning. Why should we care whether the small town west disappears? Some people argue that these towns rely too much on boom economies, and maybe they even deserve to die. But these towns are vessels for American history, and they're also incubators of American democracy. As a community, we're never going to be that rich. But as a community, we are that rich in heart. We can do this. Once we make up our mind... But getting people to the table, because they all think that they, their ideas are so different. 
they aren't. We all want safe schools, we all want safe streets, we all want, you know, the security. And once we start talking to each other about what we have in common, the county people and the town people, then things can start happening. I know there's a lot of listeners out there who are on long migrations away from their hometowns. We want to hear your story. Reach out to us on social media at Modern West Pod. You can see a video of the Rhythm Wrestlers and see some photos of Amy's artwork and her trunk o bullets, along with Matt out delivering papers at our website, themodernwest.org. I'm Melody Edwards. Our story editor is Aaron Jones. Anna Rader is our digital producer. Our executive producer is Micah Schweitzer. Our theme song is by Screen Door Porch. The Modern West is a production of PRX and Wyoming Public Media. One of our goals is to get a dialogue flowing about the stories that we're telling. We're hoping that you'll join the conversation. So connect with us on social media and let us know what your thoughts are, whether you agree with what you're hearing or not. We're at Modern West Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. That's Modern West Pod.